This is our um, second to the last teaching from the book of Revelation. So I'm a little sad in a way. It's been a, it's been a good ride, I think. But we're in Revelation chapter 22. We're going to pick it up in verse 14, but I'm going to read beginning in verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. We talked about that. means that when all these things start to transpire, it will seem to be at an accelerated pace. The Bible even tells us that unless the days be shortened, no flesh would be saved. And so again, we see God's grace at work. And we see things uh, around us getting weirder and weirder. But God's going to bring it to a swift conclusion. I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. We talked about how so many people are looking for their rewards here on earth. But the most important rewards are the ones that Jesus is bringing with him. We should focus on those. To give to everyone according to his work. Not work for salvation, but work for heavenly rewards. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus gives us the whole package right there. Again, confirming that he is indeed God. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life, which appeared first in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were banned from eating of the tree of life because of their disobedience in eating from the tree that God prohibited. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word today. We pray again that you would give us insight and understanding. You promised that you would send us the comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truth, we ask that you would do that for us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. The first part of verse 14 here, blessed are those who do his commandments. Interestingly, uh, in the NIV it says, blessed are those who wash their robes. So we have the manuscripts that are followed by the translators of the King James Version and other versions the phrase, those who wash their robes, is translated, those who do his commandments. And I think both translations are right. Because having your robes washed in the precious blood of Christ is what enables you to walk in obedience to the Lord. Those who are truly born again, saved by grace through faith, will do his commandments. That's what Jesus said. Obedience to God is evidence of a true conversion. If we look at Revelation 7, 13, Then one of the elders asked me, John, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So, there's a direct connection here between washing your robes. Obviously, it's a spiritual metaphor for being washed and cleansed from your sins by the blood of Christ. This whole idea of blessed, blessed, there's actually seven Beatitudes, if you will, in the book of Revelation. This is the very last one. Blessed are those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb. The first one is in chapter 1. You may remember this from the very beginning of our studies in Revelation. Revelation 1.3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So there's a special promise of blessing at the beginning of this book for those who read. And interestingly, again, uh, in the NIV, it adds the word aloud. Blessed is he who reads aloud. I don't know how many of you ever read your Bibles out loud, but there is something kind of special and penetrating about reading the Scriptures out loud. Remember Ezra, the scribe, and others in the Old Testament, rather than giving a sermon like we do nowadays, or 
in our case, we try to do more of a teaching, an expository teaching, they would get up and just simply read the scriptures. And you can do that at home, obviously, and should do that at home. And those scriptures minister to your spirit. And there seems to be something special about when we do that out loud. I have a um, program on my iPad where it does that. It speaks. Somebody's narrating the scriptures. And so when I go through there daily on my daily devotions, I play that and I get that, that sound going into my ears, if you know what I mean. Reading along and listening at the same time. So blessed is he who reads aloud, but notice it's not enough to read those who hear the words of this prophecy. And we know in Revelation repeatedly, Jesus says, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so it's not enough to just read it. There are many, many people who have read the Bible and never gotten anything out of it because we need that understanding that's imparted to us by the Spirit of God. So to read it, to hear it, not just your physical ears, but in your spirit, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And uh, to keep it, for one thing, it means don't, don't toss it. Don't ignore it. Don't throw it away. We know there are many within the liberal realm of the church today, pastors, teachers, theologians, who will tell you, uh, we don't study the book of Revelation. It's too confusing, too hard to understand, too divisive, too many different interpretations. So we're just not even going to go there. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Well, that, that means they're going to miss out on a very special blessing, doesn't it? Because it says, blessed is he who reads, hears, and keeps those things which are written in it. For the time is near. And then again, like Peter talked about the scoffers, the mockers, where's the promise of his coming? If your own Bible says the time is near, and yet that was 2,000 years ago. Where is he? Again, God is outside the realm of space and time. And so in the overall scheme of things, and I always like to look at it this way. If it says in Revelation 1-3, written 2,000 years ago, the time is near. If it was near then, how near is it now? Right? Plus, we are blessed to be seeing the fulfillment of all these things. All right, the second beatitude Revelation 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. And so we know that those who do receive Christ during the tribulation will pay a very high price, more than likely being martyred, being killed, uh, for taking a stand for Christ, refusing the mark of the beast. And chapter 14 comes in right about the middle of the tribulation or shortly thereafter. And so there's a special blessing for those tribulation martyrs who lay down their lives rather than yield to the one world government, one world religion, and one world economic system, which is already upon us, by the way, have you noticed? Craziest thing happened this past week. Ed was at the, the mid-high that went to the baseball game? Yeah. So they took the mid-high from the Calvary Christian Academy to an isotopes game. And uh, fortunately, I guess, their package included a lunch. Is that true, Ed? But, you know, all the kids took along money uh, so that they could get snacks and so forth. They won't take any cash there anymore. If you go to an isotopes game, you better bring your plastic or your chip. <laughs> People are being chipped all over the world right now. You know that, right? It's gradually happening. But we're gradually moving towards that cashless society, and even our beloved uh, president uh, is pushing hard for what they call a digital currency. So uh, coming soon to a planet near you, and there are those also within the government and the economic system that are promoting the government having full control over your finances. And once there's no more hard currency, no more cash, and even plastic, that only leaves one more option, microchip. And uh, even before we get to the microchip phase, if they do away with hard currency and everything's digital and online, which we're almost there already anyway, and then they begin to decide what you can buy and what you can't buy, 
Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Okay, the third one, Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. And again, we talked about the fact that not everything in Revelation is chronological, so don't misunderstand this chapter 16 to indicate that the rapture would be at the end of the tribulation. There are lots of flashbacks in the book of Revelation, and here he's simply issuing another injunction, another exhortation. Behold, I'm coming as the thief. Blessed is he who watches. And again, there are those in the church today that would say, you need to quit focusing on the return of Christ. Really? From what I see, that the majority of the New Testament is about focusing on the return of Christ, on watching, being ready. God wants every generation of believers on this earth to be actively watching for and anticipating the return of Christ, and yet there are some who tell us, no, don't do that, it's a distraction. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. So here we have the idea of the robes or the garments again. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So this has to do with maintaining your relationship with God. There is a certain danger in this idea of once saved, always saved. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. We can't earn it. It's a gift from God. But to presume upon that grace, to take that grace for granted, and say, well, now that I'm a believer, I can do whatever I want. The Bible does not teach that. Paul talks about that. He says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Therefore, should I keep on sinning so I can have more of God's grace? He says, no, God forbid. Jesus did the heavy lifting. He died on the cross for our sins. But in order for us to maintain a right relationship with God, we have to remember how Jesus washed the disciples' feet? And he was teaching them a lesson there. As we walk through life, we get soiled by the things of this world. And again, it's not about getting re-saved, saved all over again, but it's about being cleansed by the washing of water with the Word of God, the Spirit of God. Keep, he says, watch and keep your garments. And so it could be a rude awakening for some who maybe last week, last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whenever, made what we call a decision for Christ where they made a proclamation of faith in Jesus. But then they've just kind of gone on their merry way doing their own thing and they're, and they're just resting in the fact that, well, I got saved 20 years ago. I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure I can tell you that the Bible guarantees that, folks. The whole concept of Calvinism and Arminianism, Arminianism teaches you can lose it. Calvinism says you can't. Calvinism says, well, if you lost it, you never really had it. Arminianism says every time you blow it, you've got to get saved all over again. I, I grew up in a church like that. But you know what? The Bible doesn't really teach either one of those. The Bible teaches stick with Jesus. The Bible teaches stay close to God. And Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, we are eternally secure in Christ. Ask yourself this question today. Are you in Christ? Or are you just kind of doing your own thing? Are you a nominal believer? who I, I believe in Jesus, but he doesn't really impact the way I live on a daily basis. I would say that you're in jeopardy at that point. Okay, number four beatitude, Revelation 19.9. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And so we had that teaching back in chapter 9 about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And obviously, if you are a member of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, you will be invited. And that's a blessed event that you definitely want to be a part of. Number 5, Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And I think this is where a lot of people maybe are confused or don't understand who haven't really thought about it. The, the first resurrection, which takes place in phases, we've talked about this before. Jesus is the first fruits. Jesus is the first man, because he's fully God and fully man, 
to rise from the dead, never to die again. There were resurrections in the Old Testament. There are resurrections in the Gospels. But those people went on to die anyway. That was, those were temporary resurrections because they still had perishable, corruptible, mortal bodies. Jesus is the first to rise, never to die again. And then we will follow after him in our resurrection. But all of the righteous resurrections are part of the first resurrection. You've heard me say this before. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. But what does this tell us? There is a second resurrection. So even the unrighteous, the wicked, will also be resurrected. And I've also told you, um, going back several years, I really believe there is a, an unintentional prophetic element to all this obsession with the walking dead and the zombies and all that. We're already seeing the first manifestation of that. People driving around in their car by themselves with a mask on. <laughs> People are already being zombified. And there was another article that came out recently where the powers that be are planning on a never-ending stream of pandemics for the next 10 years. For, to bring people under submission, under control, and as we've talked about many times, to depopulate the planet as per the Georgia Guidestones, as per George Soros, as per Jeff, all these people, Bill Gates, They've all publicly stated we need to reduce the earth's population. Like I told you last week, we are created in the image of God. We are the crown of his creation. But these people are determined to, to, to convince you that you are garbage, you are filth, you're the scum of the earth, and you need to be eradicated. If you doubt me for a moment, you better do your own research. And guess who their leader is? Satan, the devil. He is the destroyer. He's the thief who comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. So even as we have eternal life in Christ, eternal joy, peace, righteousness in the presence of God... Sometimes I try to remember how good it felt to be 20, 30. All I know is what it feels like to be this age. I think it felt a lot better. But if you could ever think of the best day you ever had in your life where you just felt like you could, you know, conquer the world, physically, mentally, the whole nine yards, well, that's going to pale in comparison to what it's going to be like to be with Christ in his eternal kingdom. But see, then you have to contrast that with this second resurrection, which is a resurrection unto eternal conscious death, suffering, torment. Whether it be physical, mental, I think it's going to be all the above. And that's why I bring in the illusion of the zombies. That's what it's going to be like for these people. See, if people could really see the stark contrast, nobody would refuse Christ, would they? Why would you want to live for eternity in an eternal state of death and corruption and decay and torment? Who would want that? Nobody. The problem is so many are deceived and they don't see the truth. They don't know. They don't understand. They're counting on the fact, well, there really is no God, there really is no heaven, and therefore... There's really no hell either, so I'm going to be fine. All right, the sixth beatitude, Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And again, if you reject the book, if you don't want to study the book, if you don't want to talk about the book like many churches today, then how can you keep the words of the prophecy of this book? Again, there's a whole broad spectrum of interpretations, pre-tribulation rapture, mid, post. My friend Hugh in Arizona calls them the post-toasties. <laughs> There's a pre-millennial, 
post-millennial, amillennial, it goes on and on and on. Over the past couple of years, you've received what I've tried to give to the best of my ability is my understanding, and not just from me, but other great men of faith that I've studied under and uh, learned from. And we can all agree on the major elements, I think, because we're seeing it played out before our very eyes. Bible prophecy is being fulfilled on a, almost a daily basis. There's never been a time in human history where the things in Revelation could have been fulfilled the way they're being fulfilled today. All as a result of modern technology. I told you this a couple times. Satan's plan has been the same all along, but he's been waiting for man to catch up with him in terms of our knowledge, our understanding, our technology. And that was God's concern in the very beginning when Adam and Eve disobeyed and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's the only one who can handle all that. The more knowledge and understanding man gains, the more and more it tends to skew towards the evil side. Right? Did, I didn't even know this till the other day. 51% of all abortions are now done with a pill. Did you know that? We've been fighting abortion like crazy, but all they have to do now is call the pharmacy and get a pill and take the pill and the, aborts the baby. That's technology, you see? To take a small pill and destroy the creation of God in the womb. That's man's technology, right? We've talked about all the, uh, the micro particles and the plastics and so forth that now they're finding in people's lungs. That's man's technology. I've, <laughs> my wife and I were just talking about this, and you've heard me talk about it before. But when I was a kid, milk came in bottles, which glass is perfectly harmless. It's also recyclable, which is a big deal today, right? What would be better, to recycle all this plastic or recycle your milk bottles? Soda pop came in glass bottles. Almost everything came in glass. But man always outthinks himself. See, man's wisdom, man's knowledge, man's understanding is flawed and damaged by sin. And the devil looks at any and every opportunity to work that to his advantage. So all the time we think we're making progress, we're really going the other way. And we've reached the apex of that in the year 2022. And with the injections, boy, they've made billions of dollars on those. Now more and more gradually every day they're admitting all the problems. Have you seen all the heart attacks, the strokes, and all the other things that are happening, and the deaths? And the documents are now coming out that they knew about this stuff from the very beginning. What was the motivating factor to save the human race? To make billions of dollars. And more than likely, when you examine people like Klaus Schwab and Anthony Fauci and these different people, they knew exactly what they were doing. Depopulation, folks. Depopulation. You don't have to trust me or believe me. You can look it up for yourself. Oh, boy. I'm sure glad I know Jesus. And so we're told here, as we're still on verse 14, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Let me read it again, verse 14. Blessed are those who do His commandments... So, you know, a lot of times people who, again, identify as believers, they're looking forward to all the perks, all the bennies, all the benefits. You know what I mean? But they don't have any concept of what it means to actually serve God. They look at God as like a Disneyland daddy, you know, a heavenly Santa Claus. But the blessings are promised to those who do His commandments, those who obey Him. People think that they can do whatever they want and still get blessed by God, and when God doesn't bless them, they get mad. Hello? We reap what we sow, the Bible says. Now, I know, personally, I am blessed way beyond what I deserve. I pray that every night. God, I know, I'm almost embarrassed to thank God for all my blessings because I know I don't deserve them. 
But at the same time, that doesn't give us an excuse to just do whatever we want and expect God to shower his blessings down on us. That they may have the right to the tree of life. So we talked about this already, but that will, the tree of life, there'll be multiple trees there in the new Jerusalem. We will be partaking of those on a regular basis. And only those washed in the blood of the Lamb have the right to live forever. Again, yes, yeah, some people think, well, if God is such a loving God, then I, then I deserve to go to heaven. I have a right to go to heaven. I'm a good person. No, there's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. John 1.12. John is talking in this first chapter about the Word, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he created all things. And he talks about him coming into the world as the light of the world. In verse 12, he says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So a couple things here. As many as received him. It's like keeping the words of this prophecy. Receiving Christ. means you welcome him into your life. You receive his teachings. You receive his spirit. And in the process, you yield your life over to him. Because he paid the price for your life. He bought and purchased you with his blood. But notice, to them he gave the right. Some people think they're just born with the right to be a child of God. In fact, that's kind of a universalism kind of a belief. Yeah, we're all, well, I don't know if I really believe in God, but if, if there is a God, we're all his children, right? No, not true. Jesus told the Pharisees, these religious leaders of Israel, you are of your father the devil, The only way you become a child of God is if Jesus imparts to you that right. He gives you the right. It is not within you. It's from Him. And who does He give that right to? Those who receive Him and to those who believe in His name. Yeshua. Yeshua HaMashiach. God is our salvation. The Anointed One. The Messiah. We believe in all that his name represents. So, that they may have the right to the tree of life, which you've got to have it. You've got to have it if you're going to live forever. And may enter through the gates into the city. We're talking about the New Jerusalem, of course. Our eternal dwelling place. Heaven's just a vacation spot during the tribulation. So, that we will have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. There won't be anyone but blood-bought children of God living in the heavenly city of New Jerusalem. And again, not because we deserve it, because of God's grace, His love, His mercy, and His forgiveness. But we'd be less than honest if we didn't say it's going to be awfully nice to dwell with nothing but believers. Right? Total unity, total harmony. No more strife, no more envy, no more jealousy, which all those things do exist in the church, sadly. Let's be honest. The only thing that separates us from the world is the blood of Christ. You know, people say, well, I don't go to churches full of hypocrites. So they hang out with the outside hypocrites. <laughs> right? There's no escaping it. That's part of the human condition. Hypocrisy. Our world is rampant with hypocrisy today. The whole abortion issue. We've talked about it so much. Rampant hypocrisy. If you get in a, you're a pregnant woman, you get in a car accident, somebody runs into you, drunk driver or whatever, that guy can be prosecuted. If you, and your baby dies in your womb, that person can be prosecuted for murder. But if you go to the clinic and kill your baby, no big deal. If that isn't hypocrisy, I don't know what is. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg. All right, I don't want to get too sidetracked here. Okay, ver very interesting verse 15. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral 
and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. And this verse ties in with what we already studied in chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Remember when your mom used to tell you, you know where liars go. Don't lie. You know where liars go. Turns out mama was right. That's where they go. But again, at least in the mental sense, Jesus said if you think it, you've done it, right? If you hate somebody in your heart, you've murdered them. If you lust after someone, you've, you've committed adultery with them or fornicated. So Jesus holds us accountable not only for our very physical actions, but for our thoughts. So by that definition, we're all guilty of all of it. We're all sinners. Again, the only thing that separates us from the world is the blood of Christ. But so at the end of the game, at the end of the day, having your robes washed in the blood of Christ is the whole ball game. But this is quite a list. The cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, and boy, I'll tell you what, if you haven't noticed, I mean, they tried to start a, uh, a Satan club at one of the elementary schools. I think they did get shot down, thankfully. But more and more every day, Satanism and witchcraft is coming to the forefront. Who would have thought a half a century ago that we'd be seeing this stuff in our country, in our schools and different places? Apparently, this new Doctor Strange movie is just rife with Satanism and witchcraft and so forth. And the girl that plays the Scarlet Witch, I think is her name, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, was being interviewed about, she plays a witch, and she says, yeah, I've, I've seen it personally, I've witnessed it. In real life, she knows people that are involved in witchcraft. Although she says she isn't personally. And then she says, well, maybe I am a little bit witchy. We've come a long way. Now, I'm not saying what they did in Salem, Massachusetts in the 1600s was good. Burning so-called witches at the stake. But we've certainly come a long way from that, haven't we? And the Bible clearly states that these things are punishable if not repented from, if not dealt with, if not brought under the blood of Christ. Outside are dogs and sorcerers. And boy, I tell you what, the enemy has done a great job of weaving that stuff into all the movies and stuff that the kids are exposed to. The whole Harry Potter series and so forth. Sorcery, witchcraft. Draw the allurement, you know what I mean? The allurement, all these superhero movies and stuff. And more and more what they're doing. Did you hear where they made Superman gay now? No, I'm serious. And then uh, in the Thor series, his brother Loki has now come out as bisexual. See how they're gradually seducing the kids and sucking them into this garbage? They raise up these superheroes, the kids become enamored with them, and the next thing you know, oh, by the way, your favorite superhero is gay, transgender, bisexual. Oh, wow, cool, I want to be that too. The frog in the pot, folks. The frog in the pot. I've been a big fan of some of those movies in the past, but I tell you, I'm, I'm not going to go see that one. Not going to go see it. And the thing is, we are created... We talk about the amazing, incredible future we have in God's eternal kingdom. And so we are created in the image of God. We are able to envision things and, and, and uh, think about things like that. Just the amazement. And then these guys come along and they begin to present things like that in motion pictures. The Star Wars series, you know, and the Sky Cities and all this amazing stuff. And there really is kind of a connection there or a depiction of what lies ahead for us. And so we get sucked in by these things because Paul said we fix our eyes on that which is not seen, right? But we want to see it, don't we? And so when somebody begins to show these things to us in a way that we can actually literally see with our physical eyes, wow, this is so cool. But it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all part of Satan's deception. 
to draw us away from Christ and to the other side. Revelation 21, 27, There shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Notice he says, outside are the dogs. That's interesting, isn't it? But I don't know if you knew this, but to the Jews, dogs were considered ceremonially unclean. Leviticus 11.27, whatever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, those are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. And so this term dogs... It really applies to this full description that we have up there in verse 8, Revelation 21, 8. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. These are the dogs. Deuteronomy 23:17. No Israelite man or woman is to become a shrine prostitute. That doesn't mean if you don't do it in the shrine that it's okay, by the way. But they did have that back in the pagan worship. You know this. They had both male and female prostitutes in the temple. And part of their so-called worship was to have relations with these temple prostitutes. No Israelite man or woman is to become a shrine prostitute. You must not bring the earnings of a female prostitute or of a male prostitute into the house of the Lord your God to pay any vow because the Lord your God detests them both. The King James reads like this, 17 and 18 of Deuteronomy 23. There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow, for even both these are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. And so, again, we've kind of, we're living in a world today where everything evil Everything wrong, everything sinful has really been downplayed. And I'm afraid it's even penetrated the church. Everybody's so afraid of being judgmental, being legalistic, that the pendulum has swung so far the other way that for many in the church today, sin just doesn't matter. Right? God loves you just the way you are. Well, Jesus died for you on the cross just the way you are or were. But he died so that you could be cleansed, washed, renewed, set free to live a godly life under Christ Jesus. I mean, here at the end of Revelation, God's making it perfectly clear. If you insist on living a lifestyle like what's described here, you're not going to be in his eternal kingdom. Are you going to be perfect in this life? Absolutely not. If we could be perfect, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to die on the cross in the first place, right? But you know what? Our goal, in fact, the Bible says, be ye perfect even as he is perfect, or holy as he is holy. And so we are called to that. We know we'll never reach, fully reach that standard in this life, but we should be working towards that goal, being very thankful that when we fall short, when we stumble, when we fall, God is always there to pick us up, brush us off, and get us back on track. Provided we go to Him, repent, confess, and ask His forgiveness, and ask Him to renew a right spirit within us. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Your presence, O Lord. And renew a right spirit within me. I pray that often as well. Philippians 3.2, Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil. So again, we see the correlation when we read here in Revelation about the dogs outside the gates of the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Paul says those dogs are those men who do evil. And then in this specific instance, those mutilators of the flesh, what he's talking about, if you remember, there was a group of men known as the Judaizers. And they would follow Paul around after he had been to a certain area and they would start teaching the believers, the ones that Paul had led to Christ, primarily Gentiles. And these Judaizers would undermine Paul's teaching 
and tell these Gentile believers that they had to be circumcised and live under the law to be saved. And yet the teachings of Paul and others clearly indicate that to revert back to that after being under the new covenant, being saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that you're, you're in a sense forfeiting your, your salvation by going back to the old covenant. And so he refers to them as dogs, evil men, those mutilators of the flesh, teaching these people that it wasn't enough to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They had to be circumcised and live under the law. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things to the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Now, it's interesting that even though Jesus' name is mentioned 14 times in the book of Revelation, this is the first and only time in the book of Revelation that Jesus refers to himself as Jesus. So right here at the end, I, Jesus, have sent my angel. Of course, all angels are Jesus' angels. He made them. This may be a very specific angel assigned to Jesus as his personal assistant, if you will, back in Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So I've sent my angel to testify to these things. A testimony, as you probably know, is a first-hand eyewitness account. Where, we, where was the angel to testify? To John and then John to the churches? In the churches. So again, I would make the point, it behooves every God-loving, Bible-believing church to study it diligently as we have over the past couple of years. To testify to these things in the churches. And then he goes on to identify himself as the root and the offspring of David. Only Jesus could pull this off, by the way. He is both David's creator and he is the descendant of David. Jesus is both greater than David and the rightful heir to the throne of David. Don't try that at home. Isaiah 11.1 1 prophesied by the prophet Isaiah concerning the coming Messiah. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And so it talks about Jesus growing out of the roots of King David, the stem of Jesse. And yet, before Abraham was, I am. Isaiah 11.10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him. And that was an incredible revelation, even to the most godly of Jews, that the Gentiles would be included in God's plan for salvation. The apostles were kind of blown away, remember? Even the Samaritans, who were half Jew, half Assyrian, they were half-breeds, you know that the Jews consider the Samaritans unclean, and yet Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, remember? And all the, the Jews, the religious people, the guy was all beaten and bloody on the side of the road. They all passed him by, and then the Good Samaritan came and helped him. And that was Jesus beginning to introduce this idea that salvation was not just for the Jews. And it came as a shock. And then they were even more shocked, Peter and John and different ones, when they found out that Gentiles could also receive the Holy Spirit. But here it is in the Old Testament. Again, they shouldn't really have missed Jesus the first time as their Messiah. There were ample scriptures in the Old Testament to confirm who he was. But their eyes were blinded. And that's why when we read about the blessing of those who read the words, hear the words, and keep the words... They had the words, and they read the words, but they didn't hear them, and they didn't keep them. So you see how important that is. For the Gentiles shall seek him. 
and his resting place shall be glorious. And that's that resting place we've been talking about, our eternal home in the new Jerusalem. So for these, those of you guys who've ever watched any of these sci-fi movies and so forth and fantasized about how amazing it would be to live in a place like that, you're going to. It'll be even better. Nothing we've ever seen or heard can compare. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard those things that God has prepared. Nor has it entered into the heart of man those things that God has prepared for those who love him. The bright and morning stars. So He says, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So he's laying it all out there. Prophetically, his coming is like the morning star, the beginning of a bright new day. Second Peter 1.19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed by the coming of Christ, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. The prophetic word confirmed. A light that shines in a dark place. The fulfillment and completion of God's word he's given to us. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path in this dark world. And again, those, there are those who would downplay even the study of God's word. They say, well, yeah, that's, that's good, that's okay, but really it's more, it's more about feelings and emotions and relationships and all that stuff. No, God's word is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It's the light that shines in the darkness. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So again, speaking about the coming of Jesus, the morning star. The bright morning star, he says, which you will do well to heed. 2 Peter 1.19, the prophetic word confirmed, which you will do well to heed. So Peter tells us that the day is coming when Jesus will return and make all things right until the day dawns. But until that day, folks, we have the word of the prophets, like Isaiah that we just read from, made more certain. And so again, the New Covenant, the New Testament... The writers of the New Testament confirmed what the Old Testament prophets had foretold. The word of the prophets made more certain through the work, the word, and the person of Jesus Christ. So what are we to do till Jesus comes back for us? We've talked about it so much over the past couple of years. It kind of boils down to this. Pay attention to Jesus and his word. So I'm going to read it one more time, Revelation 1.3. Blessed is he who reads aloud, if you will, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Let's stand. Lord, we do thank you for the word of the prophets made more certain, more sure, for the fulfillment and completion of, of all the things that you've laid out for us in your scriptures. Lord, many people might look at the times we're living in as scary, terrifying, horrifying. But Lord, I think for us as believers, it's exciting. Lord, we've all longed to see you from the first day that we received Christ as Lord and Savior. We have longed to see you. We've longed to be with you. We've longed to be in that final resting place with you. We know there's some work to be done first. We know, Father, that we're going to be here on the earth ruling and reigning with Christ during the millennium for a thousand years. But that time is going to fly by because we will be immortal, imperishable, incorruptible, eternal beings. But God, we thank you for not leaving us in the dark, so to speak, that you have been a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Lord by your Holy Spirit, through the words you've given to us in the Old and New Testament. And Lord, we ask you to help us to, to do what we've been exhorted to do. To read, to hear, to keep, to pay attention to you, Lord. And hold on tight to Jesus and his words until we see you face to face. 
Thank you, God. I'm going to ask for a show of hands for those who have a prayer request this morning. If you raise your hands. It's all over the auditorium. Father, you see each one. Lord, you know each heart. You know what's on each person's mind this morning. It could be a health issue. We've got plenty of those to go around. We pray for your healing power to be poured out upon your people. Lord, we really do long to see those kinds of miraculous events that we read about in the Bible, in the book of Acts especially, other places in your word. Lord, we know that we will give you the glory and the honor for anything and everything you do for us. We, that's our hope, that's our prayer, that's our desire, that we would not seek blessings just for our own personal benefit, but that you might be exalted, that you might be uplifted, that people might see the reality of who you are. So we pray for healing. Lord, whether it's uh, arthritis or tendonitis, whether it's heart disease, cancer, whatever it might be, Father, allergies, asthma, COPD, Lord, you created us, you know us inside and out. And we pray that you'd pour out your healing, Father, upon those this morning that are seeking that kind of a touch from you. And we pray that you would be honored, you would be glorified, we'd be quick to tell everybody what you've done for us. Lord, we pray for financial issues, Lord, that we're living in perilous times, but we know that you're our provider. Help us to keep our eyes on you, trusting in you to meet our needs, to take care of us, Lord. And again, we can testify that even in the midst of, of a financial meltdown in our, in our world today, shortages of food and all kinds of things, that God has met my needs. God has taken care of me, and I give him all the glory. So we pray for provision, Lord. Lord, you did promise in your word if we would seek first uh, the kingdom of God and your righteousness, that all these things would be added unto us. So help us to keep our priorities straight, Lord. Help us to seek you first and your kingdom and trust you to take care of us because you promised that you would. For jobs, those who need jobs, we ask that you provide a good job, an enjoyable job, Lord, if possible, one where family needs can be met. And I pray that you'd cast out all fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, all the things we talked about this morning, Father. We know they're, they're of the flesh, they're of the devil, they are destructive, and they will tear us down if we don't get rid of them. So we pray for healing in the realm of the mind, the will, the emotions, that you would deliver us, Lord, from all anxiety, depression, and all these other things. Unforgiveness, Lord, it's a big one. Help us to be quick to forgive those who offend us, Lord, because we're just as likely to offend them. We confess that to you. We ask your forgiveness. We pray for healing of relationships, marriages, friendships, work relationships, neighborhood relationships. Lord, your word tells us as much as possible that we're to be at peace with all men. Help us to fulfill that. We thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers today. We lift up anyone or any situation that may have been overlooked Lord, you know what's on each heart and each mind. We thank you that you hear our thoughts. It's great to pray out loud, but even when we don't, you know our hearts, you know our minds. And Lord, I want to thank you personally for all the thoughts that you've answered in my life. Lord, sometimes you answer them before we can even think them. And we give you praise and thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.